Before I pray, I want to ask a question, and I want you to answer it within your heart, and I want you to be sincere in, in answering this question. If you were to die today, do you know for sure, 100%, not 99.9%, .9%, but 100%, do you know for sure that you'd be with the Lord? And if you do, what are you basing that assurance on? And I want you to think about that. Because one of the greatest subjects that we can ever cover on here on earth is the subject of salvation. How does a person get to heaven? Because we know that God has put eternity in our hearts. We know that he, you know, we are no doubt here for a purpose, although a lot of people like to uh, see their consciences or uh, occupy um, with other things that deter them from reality of life because we're all going to die one day, and then what? After death, what? So we know that there's an afterlife. We know people call God a higher power. We know that there's something. We know as Christians that it's you know, the God of the Bible, the Alpha, the Omega, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but the people out there believes that there's something after death, but they just don't know what it is. <clears throat> so I just want you to really ponder upon these questions, why are you here, what's the purpose of life, where are you going to go when you die, and how, how, do you, how does a person get to heaven? How does a person enter into the kingdom of God? And this is very important for you to answer, and answer very soberly and sincerely, because it is, you know, the difference between heaven and hell. And I, and I don't know about you, but eternity is too long to be wrong. You don't want to mess this one up. You can go to the dentist, the, de the, the dentist bodges your filling, you just go to another dentist and say, look, you know, I need to fix this up. You go to a restaurant, he cooks your steak well done and you wanted medium rare, you just go to another place. And, but this is, we're not talking about tangible things here, we're not talking about carnal things or means, we're talking about eternal life, we're talking about the soul of a person. You know, you only get one crack here on earth to you know, embrace this great salvation that God's given you. You know, the Bible says, how shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect so great of salvation? And so I believe God has given light to every man in every generation for him to know the truth that will make him free. The truth about their nature and the truth about God's nature. I believe it. Creation speaks, conscience speaks, uh, the scriptures speak, prophets have spoken, Jesus has spoken. Universally, people know Christ. They know him. It's even in Hollywood movies, but they use it in a blasphemous way. They know him. And, uh, and so I, I, I want to appeal to you today, don't, don't gamble with your soul. Make sure that you're right with God uh, you're, when you die, you're going to be with him based upon his plan of salvation, not what you think or you feel or, you know, basically following your own heart. Our heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. We don't want to deceive ourselves. We want to make sure that we're getting in God's way. Amen? So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you, Father, this afternoon and we thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy upon our lives. We can't thank you enough, Father, for your goodness, the way you have bestowed uh, your benefits towards us, uh, the benefits of life. You've given us life. We're here. We're breathing. 
we're living and the benefits of food and we, we, we eat the, and the rain that falls on us that gives us grain to nourish our bodies to live and survive. But not only these things. You've given us the gift of eternal life through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask and pray, dear God, that you will get a hold of our hearts, every single one of us. Father, perhaps those that are not sure about their salvation, I pray that you'd minister to them. And those that are, that you would remind us what we have in Christ and the whole purpose of us here on earth, what we're supposed to be doing. So please, Lord, I pray that you'd minister to us very clearly from your word. Help me convey it simply and clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and look at verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, I exhort therefore that first of all supplication, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. I want you to see verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. <clears throat> God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy with this desire of him praying for all men, especially those that are in government or those that are in authority, that Christians may be able to live a peaceable life as they live for the glory of God here on earth, that the very same token, he lets him know the heart's uh, desire of God, that he would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, what does it mean to be saved? Well, salvation simply means to be delivered, rescued. It means to be redeemed, okay? It is the complete deliverance of God that he provides for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the operation of the Holy Ghost. Salvation is God-given victory to man through his son's sacrifice on the cross. It covers, uh, you know, uh, different terms. When we look at salvation, it covers the terms such as forgiveness of sins. Alright, and this is very important to understand because when you uh, get saved, you're forgiven. Forgiveness of sin is a byproduct of salvation. It covers your past, present and future sins. God forgives their past, he sanctifies their present and he secures their future. It also covers terms such as regeneration. At the point of your salvation, when you get saved, you are made alive spiritually because you were dead in trespasses and sins. So you're made alive spiritually. God raises you up, if you will, with Christ spiritually. And uh, he gives you life, and that's through the Holy Spirit. And uh, we have the word adoption. Again, at the point of your salvation, uh, when you get saved, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're adopted in God's fam family, and hence it makes you a child of God. And then we have sanctification. On this side of heaven, as children of God, by the Spirit of God and through the Word of God, God wishes to sanctify us, to continue, practically make us holy. He wants us to put off some things and put on some things. He wants us to abstain from fleshly lust that war against our souls. He wants us to make no provision for the flesh and walk in the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God will continue to lead us in all truth that is able to sanctify us. And then we have glorification. And what a, what a day that will be. When Jesus returns, 
He will clothe the Christians that have trusted Christ with a new tabernacle or a new body. He will raise them up. He will give them a new body, a glorious body, like our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that body will be incorruptible. It cannot decay or corrupt. And uh, that's our glorification when he appears. We'll be with him forever. And I believe uh, that that is our final part of redemption. That's, this is what we're waiting for. And this is what Paul the Apostle is seeking for when he says we look for a saviour. Not that he wasn't saved, but the completion of his salvation. And the Holy Spirit is that deposit that secures us or seals us until the day of what? Redemption. Now, salvation also covers the whole being of a person. According to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul says that he wanted the Christians to be preserved, a blameless soul, spirit or spirit, soul and body at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it covers the whole being of a person, every fibre of his uh, make. Okay. So, but however, let me just say this before we get into some issues regarding our sinful nature there is a false you know concept regarding salvation many people believe and it's a deception that they can earn their way to heaven or they're saved by grace and works or by their own self-righteousness most religions in fact teach this most counterfeit churches teach this as well a, a works-based salvation and uh, re religion predominantly says do, 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 do. But the Bible tells us it's already been done. When Jesus hung his head on the cross and he gave up the ghost, before he gave up the ghost, he said, it is what? Finished. What is finished? The down payment. The price that was paid for man's redemption. And that's important to understand as well. Just, you know, uh, looking at, uh, you know, the fact that man wants to do to earn merit with God reveals their sinful nature. It reveals that man endeavours to earn salvation or God's own merit. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they both attempted to cover their shame by putting on fig leaves. There's something in man that causes them to try to, you know, appease God or try to get right with God or do good. Okay, and so God said it wasn't good enough. So he killed or slayed an animal. And by the way, that's the first picture of what Christ would do. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That God would be pleased to slay an animal and, uh, you know, an animal would die and he'll clothe them with the sheepskin or with the animal skin. And uh, not only this, but remember the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus he says, Master, he says this, what shall what I do? What shall I do? And this also reveals to us that he perceived that he could do something good to inherit eternal life. So what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he thought it was based upon the law. The Philippian jailer also had a misconception that he had to do something. He said to, to Paul and, the, uh, and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And I don't know about you, but when you hear that from somebody, you're gladly, more than gladly to show them how to get saved through Jesus Christ. But if you ask anyone today this question what do you have to do to be saved what do you have to do to get to heaven 95 percent of the time they will say to you that they can get to heaven by doing good or by being a good person you know and i want you to think about this as we go through this uh, gospel presentation if a person can be saved by doing good works then why did jesus have to die on the cross why did jesus have to suffer and die on the cross if a person can get to heaven See, the works-based salvation is taught 
in many facets in different kind of religion and it leads to this one single goal and it's this that man can get right with God by their own goodness and you say why so they can boast the whole purpose that Paul writes to the Ephesians is not only to tell them how to be saved but also to tell them that you're not saved by works lest any man should boast it's not by your merit it's not by your goodness it's not by you trying to earn God's favor as, as a matter of fact Isaiah says that a person that tries to get saved or cover his sin or earn salvation or God's merit all his righteousness that he tries to do is are like what filthy rags and so one reason why people endeavor to be saved by doing good works is because they want to boast I want to get to heaven somehow and say, God, this is what I've done. It's almost like outweighing their bad with their good. They hope that they can do good things here on earth that will outweigh their bad. This is the common religious practice that people are taught. And I believe it's, it's deceptive. It is deceptive. Okay, because again, our goodness is warped compared to what God perceives to be good. Okay, now why do people desperately need to be saved? And we know that the reason Jesus died was for our sins. That's why he died. According to the scripture, he died according to our, he, caught, uh, he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. So we see right from the beginning, the fall of Adam and Eve. They were created perfect, by the way. I want you to understand that before the fall, they were sinless. When God created man on the sixth day, he created all things uh, well. And it was good. And he saw it. And it was good. There was no sin uh, until the fall of Adam. And, uh, and the sin of Adam was based entirely, listen, by his own choice, influenced by an outside source. And who was that? It was the serpent. It was the devil. It was Lucifer. Not from an inward depravity. So even Adam, who, who, who was perfect, had a choice to go against God by outside influence. Okay, we've got to understand that. And so we have to understand that Adam lost his innocence. He lost his holiness when God made him perfect. And, uh, but there's one thing that he didn't lose. That was the knowledge of God. He still had God consciousness. And I believe that all men have God consciousness. Every single one of us has a God consciousness. Uh, even the devout atheist that simply denies the existence of God has eternity edged in his heart and his conscience. In other words, all men are fully aware that there is something greater and more powerful than, our, than ourselves. <clears throat> the Bible makes it very clear that a fool has said there is no God. <clears throat> in Romans 5.19, we'll get there in a moment, but it says people are made sinners by one man's disobedience. Because of Adam, you and I have inherited the sinful nature of Adam. So everyone born into the world have been born into sin. Now, I've got a question for you. Are we sinners because we sin? Or do we sin because we are sinners? Think about that. Do you want me to say it again? Are we sinners because we sin? Or do we sin because we are sinners? I believe it's both. We are sinners by birth or nature. And we are sinners by choice. Okay? You perhaps would think that if you were in Adam's position, you would obey God? Or would you still be, you know, disobedient to God? He had a will, he exercised it, and he disobeyed God, and we have the greatest epidemic. We're all born in sin by birth. You and I have the DNA 
in our blood birth, we were born in sin. It's a defect. It's the greatest disease that kills all humanity. It is absolutely the root problem of all man's you know, problems. This is sin. Sin is the root problem of man's destruction. Uh, the King David says in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. You didn't have to go to university to learn how to sin. No one taught you how to sin. It was simply by nature that you would sin and dishonor your parents and continue to do that which is wrong and disobey instruction. It's by nature and it's by choice. So although we have been born with a serious defect, we all have a free will. Cain had a free will. Did you know that? The second man that hits the scene in the book of Genesis is Cain. And God simply, you know, said uh, to Cain, he warned Cain that if he chose to disobey his command, sin was already and waiting to pounce and would take full control and fulfilling his own desire. God warned Cain and he continued to disobey and he murdered his brother Abel. So we see that even Cain, not only by nature, but by will and by God warning him, continued to exercise his own will and kill his brother. You know, Cain had the same opportunity as Abel to offer a gift by faith to God. He did. But he was envious because God accepted the offering or the gift by faith which Abel presented and he was very envious at his brother. Therefore, he acted upon his desire or his lust, if you will, that comes from his members. He could have pulled back. I mean, there was something there warning him. By the way, God gives us a conscience. It rings like a bell when we begin to try to do wrong. And some men have seared that conscience. But I believe it's one of the mechanisms that God has given us to uh, be careful and uh, not do that which is wrong. And, uh, and the law helps us also. Uh, the law, the commandment is there to show us, uh, you know, uh, precepts and and instruction and things that are right. And so Cain disobeyed, killed his brother, hence sinful. What's the definition of sin? It's missing the mark. I'm going to go through some definition, biblical definitions of what sin is. Okay, by the way, sin is not just doing a mistake. It's not, you know, getting someone's name spelt wrong or pronouncing their name wrong. That's a mistake. That's not evil, okay? That's an error, and you say, I made a mistake. Sin is much worse than that. It's missing the mark. In other words, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned, and look at this, come short of the glory of God. Missed the mark. We've all missed the mark. We've all missed the mark of God's standard and perfection. I want you to see our problem with God is missing the mark. What, what did God require for all men? To be what? Perfect. Did you know there's two ways that you and I can get to heaven? The first way is to be perfect. But the problem is none of us are perfect. We've all sinned and we've fallen short. It doesn't matter how bad of a sinner you are, and we know there and understand there's a form of depravity out there. I'm not undermining certain sins that are just, mate, depraved. And I believe a person gets to such depravity when they start searing their conscience. Okay, so I understand that. But there are sins of the spirit and the heart and things that we think. 
And Jesus tries to convey even to the Pharisees that, look, listen, you're guilty. If you've thought it, you know, if you hated your brother in your heart, you're a murderer. If you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart, even though you haven't committed the act. So there are people that have committed the act, and it's terrible. And there are people that have thought about it. And perhaps it was uh, the general culture or the law or the punishment for the law that held them back, or even their own conscience. It could be a fear of God, but you've thought it. Something that holds people back. <clears throat> but in reality, deep down, every single person is a sinner and they've come short. You know why people struggle to see themselves to be sinners and they think that they're going to get to heaven by their good works? Because they compare themselves by other people. See this person here? He's not as bad as this person. I mean, this person here, he's religious. He goes to church, he prays, and, uh, and this person, he's a scumbag. You know, this person here is, doesn't go to church and, you know, doesn't do anything of that. He's probably an atheist. This per person here is probably a prostitute. That person's over there, you know, he's never done anything wrong. I mean, he's never killed anybody. So it's harder for people, right, that haven't really done anything gross, gross sin, to see their sinfulness because they compare themselves with these people here. Now, I'm not saying to you, go commit murder. And so you can see your sin. All I'm saying to you is we've all sinned. You need to see it in the light of God's law and God's word and God's holiness. God's perfection is not measured by ourselves or by our next door neighbor. Who's it measured with? God's holiness and God's perfection, God's word. Okay. And so uh, the first definition is missing the mark. The second is sin is to transgress. The first John 3, 4, whosoever committeth sin is... Uh, uh, transgresseth the law for sin is the transgression of the what of the law okay sin is the transgression of the law so when you break God's commandments God's holy law you've transgressed the law and that's what sin is and by the way let me just say this to you uh, there is a difference between sins and sin God commendeth his love toward us and while we're yet sinners Christ died for who? Us. We're the sinful people. Okay, we're the, we're the one with the problem. When we get saved, our sins are forgiven. But we are the problem. Uh, we are the sinning machine, if you will, okay? <clears throat> and so Christ died for us, sinful people, because Christ laid down his life for us. We see that we are the problem. Hence, wants to forgive our sins, plural. All right, I'm going to give you more biblical definitions here. Sin is rebellion. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of what? Gives us a little example there. Okay, that, re you know, rebellion and, uh, and witchcraft are identical. So, you know, God, you know, by the way, it was a character trait of Lucifer. Lucifer rebelled against God. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. And so re rebellion is rejecting God's word. All right, we have another one here. Leads to the sin. Uh, sin is disobedience. Look what, look what James says. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him is what? It is sin. So even if you know what is the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. It's called disobedience. Uh, it has been, it's to be defined. It's been said, or put this way, disobedience is knowing what is right 
and not doing it and knowing what is wrong and doing it. Okay, and then we have the sin of unrighteousness. John says that all unrighteousness is sin and that's when a person commits an unjust wrongful act. We have another one here. Sin is faults and offences. Paul says to the Galatians, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a what? Fault. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Right, so these are wrongdoings, if you will, that causes injury or hurt to others or could uh, simply cause injury and hurt to others by word or also by deeds. And then we have the sin of trespass. Sin is to trespass. When Jesus said, when you pray, forgive, men their trespasses. So what's that mean? It's when someone has trespassed against you. When, when someone has a sign of no trespassing, it means they, uh, if they've broken that, that instruction, that they, they've trespassed, they've gone beyond, they've exceeded the limit. And so this is what it means, to trespass. It means to enter in and forbid an area. And uh, we can trespass against others by doing wrong deeds toward them and as a result be indebted to them. And now we want their forgiveness because we've trespassed against them. And then we have the sin of unbelief. Jesus said when he is to come, the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he explains the first of sin because they believe not on me. All right, when people don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's called the sin of unbelief. It is a serious crime to reject God's gift of redemption. It's a serious crime because it's the only way that you and I can be saved. And it's a crime, it's sin to reject the Son. God loves the Son and He gave the Son for us. I want you to see the damage of sin now. Sin does, it does a lot of damage. It, it's cursed the world. The Bible says that, uh, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. We live in a sin-cursed world. People want to say, how come there's a lot of trouble in the world because of the sin? Uh, that the world is simply involved in. And also, uh, it's done damage to the animal kingdom. The animals just really eat each other. They go at it. Uh, the, 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 the serpent is cursed uh, as well. It's a cursed animal. It's it curse, it, the curse of corruption, confusion, sickness and disease. You know, sin brings forth chaos. It does damage. Many people try to blame God for the sufferings that take place in the world. They say, you know, if God you know, were to be real, why doesn't he intervene and get rid of all this? And one day he will. And, and, and he, he will uh, deal with things. But that doesn't mean that God is not uh, simply sovereign and seeing what's taking place. But I believe the most of all, the damage that sin has caused is to humanity. Sin brings forth death. Romans 5 verse 12 Bible, the Bible says uh, in Romans 5 verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And the first thing, there are three kinds of death here, and the first one is separation from God. You know, right from the beginning, God drove out the man from the garden. God drove him out. And it causes separation, hence missing out on God's blessing and the purpose of life. You say, what was the purpose of life? God created us, uh, uh, will create by God and for God. 
You and I were never created to live life independently outside of God. He created us for fellowship. And in that garden, before the fall, Adam had perfect fellowship with the Father. As a matter of fact, God even gave him some responsibilities to name the animals. And he named them. Perfect fellowship, communion, peace, until the fall. Okay, and so, uh, not only this, but sin brings forth a separation, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he would not hear. And so, people living in sin and rebellion against God are spiritually dead to God. They have no fellowship with him. God does not hear them. If I, he doesn't hear someone that retains iniquity in their heart. This is why religion curses people to hell. Because it makes them feel they're doing something good. But God, the, the, only way, the, only, the, the only call that God will hear in prayer is a call of faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin separates us from God. And not, not only separation, but notice this. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages or the penalty of sin is what? Death. Now this is a physical death first and also eternal. It's the second death. Sin brings forth death. You know why you and I are aging? You know why people are dying? You know why we have cemeteries? Because of sin. You know why one day we will die? Because of sin. Sin reigns in our bodies. We are decaying and dying because of sin. Because of sin. But not only physical death, but sin brings eternal death. Revelation 20 verse 8, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the what? Second death. So the first death is when your body decays, it goes back to the dust of the ground, but your soul will live on. Your spirit will live on. And if you die without Christ, you're done. You die without Christ, you have no life. The Bible says, he that had the son had life. And you will die. And it's an eternal damnation. I want you to see this. Other names for eternal death. Number one, everlasting punishment. The Bible says, and these shall go away in everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Who are the righteous, by the way? Well, those that have believed on Christ. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you trust him, God imputes his righteousness to you. He puts it to your account. And therefore you're made righteous, not because you're righteous, but because God has put it to your account. That's how you can be righteous. By faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's another definition. It's eternal punishment. Number two, everlasting destruction. Second Thessalonians, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When Jesus returns, he's going to return with vengeance, flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Those that have rejected the Son, listen, God will reject them, and it's to everlasting destruction. Number three, it's eternal damnation. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of what? Eternal damnation. Man, this is scary. 
The Bible says that you can never be forgiven if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You say, what's the blaspheming of the Holy Ghost? Another sermon for another day. But you ought to be careful that you don't commit that. So how do I commit that? Have I committed that? Again, another sermon for another day. How does a person escape the curse of death and receive eternal life? How does a person get right with God? How does a person enter into the kingdom of heaven? This is the good news now. All the other stuff was the bad news. And it's reality. It's, it's, it's the reality of our condition because of sin. The wages of sin is death, but there's a beautiful conjunction here. Uh, but before we get there, how do people try to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Your average man, like I said in the beginning, tries to enter by their own good works. We're going to go through all the wrong ways to enter in, and then we're going to go through the only way to enter in. But Isaiah says, again, but we are all as unclean thing, and all our righteousness, this is Old Testament, mind you, as well, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, look at this, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. What's taken us away? Our iniquities. There's nothing that we can do to ever, ever bridge the gap between our, the separation between God and man. God has to do it. God has to do it. And so people try to bridge the gap or try to get to God or get to heaven or get to into the kingdom of heaven by works. But you know what Paul said to Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. Second of all, people try to do, uh, you know, uh, get to heaven by doing the, uh, the law or keeping the law. The apostle Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God for, look at this word again, if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in what? Vain. If we can get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments or doing the law of Moses, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? There was no need for Jesus to come. And, 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 and people do try to enter into heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. Guess what? They frustrate God's grace, which is God's love, which is the only way that you and I can enter in because God gave us salvation by his love. Grace, something given to us that we don't deserve. We'll look at, we'll look at that later. But there's no way any of us can enter into, the, into heaven. You know what James says? James says if we've broken the law in one area of the law, then we've, we've, we've broken them all. So you say, well, I've done pretty well. I've kept nine out of ten. Doesn't matter. You break one, you're guilty. That one will shut you out of heaven and it could be lying. All lions. A lot of people think, well, you know, lying's not bad compared to the sorcerer. No, it is. It's bad. God looks at those things to be rebellion, disobedience to God's law. And by the way, we've done more than just lying. I don't know about you. I speak for myself. Before I came to Christ, and I, was, I, was, I could say and put my hand up with the apostle Paul that I was a chief of sinners. And so if we're trying to get to heaven by keeping the law, we're going to fail because we're lawbreakers. The only person that kept the law perfect was Jesus Christ. Sinless. Lamb of God. Another one is by experience. People have some sort of experience, you know. They say they've been to heaven and they've seen heaven and they saw a six-foot Jesus in, in their room. And there's nothing about coming to Christ and believing on him for their sin, uh, you know, covering and the blood of Christ and all that, realizing that they're a sinner. Now, they saw a six-foot Jesus or they went to heaven, but you don't really hear them, uh, you know, give a testimony about how they saw their need for Christ and they saw the cross. I mean, you don't have to have complete 
Bible terminology and words and different things of that nature, but you hear some people equate their salvation to some sort of experience. Even physical death. I could have died many, many times. God saved me from physical death. No, God wants to save you from the spiritual death. Yeah, thank God that he preserved your life time and time again, but you know why he has? So if you die without Christ, you would have went to hell. What God is more concerned about is that you get saved spiritually from your sin that causes the eternal death. But notice what the Bible says. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. What did that depict? depict when Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights and then he rose again. Because it's only through Christ in his death, burial and resurrection that you and I can have salvation. Not through any of our experiences. Not, not foreseeing a sign or different things of that nature, but many people trust in their own experience. And then we have religion. This covers everything that man try to do even in Christendom by themselves. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone that saith unto me, look at this, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. So what's the will of the Father? That we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the will of the Father, that we honor the, that we honor the Son, that we come to the Son, that we believe on the Son, and that we're born again by believing on the Son. The Lord Jesus Christ, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so he wants us to come to the Son and be saved, not be saved by all these other means. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, but Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Look, listen, preaching or prophesying won't get you to heaven. I've met many pastors on the street and I've asked them the question, if you were to die today, do you know where you're going? You know, some of these pastors, you know, the answer they give me, they'll say that I'm a pastor. But that wasn't my question. I didn't say what you do for an occupation. I just said, if you were to die today, do you know where you're going? Now to him, he's thinking, well, I'm a pastor. If anybody knows how, it's me. But I'm just asking, how would you get there? Do you know for sure that you'd get there? And it's not by occupying a position. You know, it's, it, it, it's not by simply uh, preaching or doing works of that nature. And look at this. And in thy name cast out devils. And what do you mean in my name cast out devils? Well, there were perhaps exorcists trying to cast out devils in the name of Jesus, thinking that they were doing good things, like the vagabond Jews. Trying to do, 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 do. And in my name done many wonderful works. Religion tells you to do many wonderful things. And now I'm not, I'm not simply saying that works are bad. The Bible talks about works. But if you're trying to work for your salvation, it is bad. Why? Because it undermines this. In any way, shape or form, even our faith is not a work. Our believing is not a work. Our faith is simply believing him that died for us. It's, it's, putting, it's putting our whole trust and dependence upon him to save us. And if he didn't do what he did, we'd, we'd be finished. Even if you had faith, if Jesus didn't do what he did, you'd have no hope. He had to come and die on the cross to give us hope. He had to rise again to complete and justify us.
Without that, there's no way in the world that you and I will ever have hope of heaven. And the problem is here today is people are relying on their own merit. They're relying on themselves. Okay? So how do we get there? God's provision for sinners. I love this conjunction. For the wages or the penalty for sin is what? Death. You and I deserve death. This is our penalty. This is our wages, physical and eternal. We are, we, 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 this is what we've earned. But look at this conjunction. But the gift of God is eternal life. So God's given you a gift. Motivated by his love. And his gift is eternal life. That you would never die and never experience eternal punishment or everlasting punishment or everlasting destruction or damnation. That you would have eternal life. I don't know about you, but that's sweet. That's wonderful. I'm a dead man. I need life. I need raising again. I'm dying and decaying. And someone needs to give that extended hand, and God did. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus, all the way from him. Look, look what it says. But the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Not through church. Not through water baptism. Not through anything that we do, but through what Jesus did. This work here. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus isn't a way, he's the way. You can be a good Catholic, you can be a good Buddhist, you can be a good Muslim, all you want. But you are not coming to the Father. You are not entering in. You will not be regenerated. You will not be forgiven. You will not be adopted into God's family. You will not be sanctified or glorified without Christ. It's only through the blood of Christ. It's what he's done for us. He bridged the gap. He's the one that suffered and died on the cross for our sins. And rose again for our justification. The Bible says in Acts 4 verse 12, Neither is there any salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And you look at those verses prior to this verse, and it's the name Jesus Christ. That beautiful name, that name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You know why? Because he's our Savior and Lord. When you come to Christ, you follow Jesus. You, you trust him for your salvation and then you follow him. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life. They follow me and they shall never perish. And so what a wonderful thing that is. Amen. And it says here in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes were afar off, are made nine by how? By the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that covers our sin. It is the propitiation of for our sin and for anyone that would believe. And this is the only way that you and I can get to heaven. Outside of Christ, sin, death and hell awaits us. It's only in Christ. No matter how sincere someone is, no matter how religious they are, it's not good enough. It will never be good enough because we're sinners. We're, wi we're wicked, sinful sinners that need a saviour. 1 Timothy 2.5. This is what we read. For there is, only one, there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Who is it? The man Christ Jesus. 
But God commendeth his love or demonstrateth his love toward us in that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now your response to it has to be by faith. And uh, the Bible says very clearly, by grace are you saved through faith. And that's believing. That's trusting. And not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. Okay, so what's the difference between faith and works? We know that faith is not a work because it gives us the contrast. So what is faith? It's simple, it's simple faith in believing that Christ died for me. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. So faith is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. It's not difficult. It's not hard. It's only difficult and hard for people when they don't see their sin for what it is. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you remain blind. Why? Because they weren't seeing their sin. They weren't seeing it. And, and, the, and the problem is religion masks our sin. It's a deception. Okay? Have a look here. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He that believeth on the Son hath what? Everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But what abides upon him? The wrath of God. See, God is simply going to judge people on that day that have rejected the Son. It's, it's almost like a, a double condemnation for their sin and for their disbelief or rejection of the Son. You reject the Son, God's going to reject you and God's going to judge you. He's a holy God. We go out on the street, we warn people from the wrath of God to come and we tell them, you will not get away with your sin. God will simply judge you for it. It's every idle word is simply marked down. See, again, the greatest deception that man is simply, uh, you know, is deceived by is thinking that God's not going to deal with him or at that day he'll ask for mercy or, you know, God's not watching. Nah, it's a great deception. You will not get away with it. God's noting it down. Every word, every deed, every thought is written down. The books will be opened one day and if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you'll be judged. Every man will be judged according to his works. I don't know about you, but if I wanted to be judged according to my works, I'd be done. There's not amount, there's not amount of good that I can do in the flesh that will appease God. It's wrath. The wrath of God was appeased on the cross. When Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he was being judged for your sin and my sin. The Bible calls him a ransom for us. He was the down payment. He was the payment that redeemed us, that brought us back from sin, death and hell. It's got us captive and only God can free us. And the way he did it is on behalf of his son. Sin was being judged on the cross. Our sins were being nailed to the cross. When you believe, God will grant you eternal life. It's available. 
It's, it's there, but you must come and believe on the Lord. He that hath the Son hath what? And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye, are, ye may what? Know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Not a blessing. Absolutely. That God has provided a way. You know what? We must not miss this. Because although this is a blessing and it, it is wonderful and is precious, it was expensive. It cost his son's blood. Suffering was behind the cross. Sacrifice was behind the cross. And we heard it several weeks ago. If we don't take our sin seriously, then we're not going to take this seriously. Because it was our sin that put him on the cross. And the problem is that people don't take their sin seriously. They live in rebellion, in disobedience to God. And they don't take that seriously, but you must. What, what Lucifer did was absolutely wicked and he was kicked out of heaven for it. And what Lucifer's trying to do is trying to turn you away from God and be a rebel like him. It's the whole reason Jesus said to the Pharisees, the lust of your father you will do. He was the lust of their father, the devil. For he was a liar and a murderer in the beginning. He lies to you. He deceives you. And there are many ways that the devil tries to deceive us. And the only way that we can be simply uh, escaping this deception and being freed from the captivity that the devil has, blinded the eyes, is through the acknowledging of the truth. This is why he prayed that they'll come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because the truth will make you free. Jesus said you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And what's the truth? That he died for your sin. And that you need to come to him and believe on him. And it's believing with all your heart. When Philip preached Christ to the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch said, His water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? He said, If you believe with all your heart. He says, I do. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Depicting everything that Philip preached him from the book of Isaiah. Everything. The suffering Lamb of God. Sheep that was taken to the slaughter. To die on our behalf. He was bruised for our iniquity. All like sheep gone astray. All of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And this is why God's desire is that all men to be saved. All men. But people will be saved only when they believe. It's there. The gift of God is there for all men. But you must believe to receive it. Look at this. He came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave ye power to become the sons of God. This is the adoption. Even to them that believe on his name. See, like I said before, salvation involves adoption. When you get saved, you're adopted into God's family. This is when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. What's that mean? Is that a religion, denomination? No, man's made it to be. It's a terminology that Jesus used about being uh, you know, a child of God. The way that you are a child of God, born again by the Spirit of God, regenerated, is by believing on the Son. Son for, for God said not His Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? 
saved. And that, when you get saved, you become a child of God. And I believe that's one of the best, the best characteristics of being a Christian. Behold what manner of love that God has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. God will give you the power or the authority to become his son. Man, that's precious. Oh, man, you know what? I don't know how people live without God. I don't. I can come to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Holy of Holies. I can speak to my dad. And that's not sacrilegious. Because the Spirit of God testifies with my spirit. And I cry, Abba what? Well, Abba means Baba in Arabic and it means Daddy in English. He's my dad. He's my heavenly father. And Jesus said, unless you come like a little child, there's no way in the world that you enter in the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to come in that disposition of a little child, simply trusting. And if you don't, even if you forget this and you walk away, and she say, oh, she'll be right, mate. You're, no, she won't be right. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that what? Forget God. You're going to forget about God's plan of redemption and salvation? Well, see you later. God is not a respecter of persons. God is holy. He has to deal with things. And if you reject Christ, he'll deal with you. And this is why Jesus said, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise what? That same word perish we see in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. What's repent? It means to turn to God through Jesus Christ. We're all enmity with God. We're separated from God. Our sin has separated us from God. And by the way, repentance is not a works. Repentance is a change of mind and heart toward God. Turn to him. In other words, if I have repentance, I will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for my sin. That's what repentance is. I'm like a sheep that's gone astray. I see my sinfulness. I see how my sin has separated me from God. I see that I've broken the law. I've seen I'm just condemned. And I need Christ to save me, and I turn to God through Jesus Christ, and I call on the Lord to be saved by faith and faith alone. Repentance is not a work. Can I just say this? Repentance will cause you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Genuine repentance will cause you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. A person that says, I've repented, but hasn't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ is not saved. Remember, Judas repented. Remember, he repented from what he did, but he went to the wrong priest. Instead of going to the high priest, he went to the other priest. And then he went and hung himself. Someone can be Remorseful, regretful, but if you, don't re if you don't trust the Lord Jesus Christ, that's in vain. Jesus comes to give hope and hope to the hopeless. He came to die for those that are in captive. He came to set them free and sin has captivated us. And when God gets a hold of you, when the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you become a child of God, he begins to work beautiful things in your life, work things out of your life. It's wonderful. You begin to be sanctified. You, you grow in, in, in knowledge and you grow in love with God yet more and more. And you start realizing, you read the Bible and you start, oh, that's what happened to me. I don't know everything about what happened. I start reading the Bible and I say, that's what happened to me. Now, when my friend told me about the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I, 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 I said, thank you, man. I was really grateful for him. Not that he saved me, but thank you for sharing this with me. It's good news. And he shared it with me. And then I read Romans 10. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those that share good tidings. Oh, wow. You know, I was living out the Bible. I didn't even know. I was being thankful because he shared the good news with me. And it's good news, my friends. It's not bad news. It's only bad news when you don't want to come to Christ. So don't be a statistic, okay? Look at this. You know, this is prophecy. You know what Jesus said? Enter in the straight gate. Narrow is the way that leadeth unto what? And only a few, only a few, it should have been another person there, there's only one person there, a few, at least two people. But it is trying to show a contrast here. Right? What's the contrast? There are so many people that, that they go on the broad way that leads to where? Destruction. And many there be that. Don't be a statistic. And the broad way is simply people following their own way, following their heart's desires, uh, following religion. And there is only a narrow way, only a few people that understand what it means to be saved and that Jesus is the only way. You can tell some professing Christians today that Jesus is the only way. They'll argue with you. Or what about them? And what about this group? And what about that group? Listen, I'm not saying it. I'm just quoting what Jesus said. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm just quoting what he said. And Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. I thank God the gospel came to me, and the gospel will reach every single person. He'll give them that light if they continue to obey the light that God's given them. I believe that with all my heart. God is a just God and loving God. He's a good God. I said to the guy last night, because he was debating me, what about these people, you know, that simply are other religions and have not heard? I said, brother, if you get saved, you become a good missionary and God will send you out to them. But the gospel's coming to you. What are you going to do about it? And he gave me a grin. I said, see... Because they're trying to divert you, trying to use excuses. Let God do his job. And he does it well, by the way. God knows how to reach people in prison, backside of the desert, anywhere. God's reaching you right now. You're hearing the word of God. What are you hearing? Something very unique. You can't say that you're not a sinner. You make God to be a liar. We're all sinners. What are we going to do about it? Pray five times a day. That's not going to work. God wants perfection in heaven. And the only way you and I can be perfect is in Christ. Because God gives us his righteousness. It's on our account. And that's why we can enter in. Not that we're righteous. But we believe the one that is. And now we can go in because of him. Because of Christ. Jesus is the narrow way. That's what Jesus was trying to say. That he's the only way and he's the narrow way and he's the straight way. And all these other ways, the broad ways, are these all religions and self-righteousness and atheists and so forth. Don't be a statistic. So what stops a person from trusting in Jesus for their salvation? What stops a person? Because we know that there are things that hinder a person from coming to Christ. Is it because God never elected them? No. The Bible's very clear that he's a propitiation for our sin and sin in the whole world. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, world, that, that, that love is 
salvific love for the whole world, for everybody. It's not for a few people, it's for everybody. So we know it's not that. Don't blame God. Why would why wouldn't people come and believe on the Lord? You just got to see the Gospels and the way Jesus treated the Pharisees and why they wouldn't believe. It's all over the scripture. What about that man that had his money to be his master? He wanted to enter into heaven by his own self-righteousness. His money wanted to, it was really, I believe, was stopping him. What about the four soils? What about those two, one's possession, one's persecution? Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And then he says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, what is it that stops a person from trusting Jesus Christ? And I believe the number one, I personally believe, the number one root problem is sin. Darkness. They will not come to the light lest their deeds will be exposed. They will not come and believe on him because they love darkness more than the light. That's what Jesus said. And whatever form it comes, that darkness, everyone has their own designer lusts. And there are some things that hinder a person from coming to Christ and drinking from that water of life and eating from that bread of life. You read, the, and you read your Bible and you see it. But notice the invitation. Revelation 22:17, coming to the close of the Bible. God gives a final invitation. He says, and the spirit and the bride say what? Come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life, how? Freely. Amen. And I pray that you would not be a statistic. That you will come and drink and you will come and eat by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not hope so, one day we'll see how good you are. No. Calling on the Lord by faith and asking the Lord like that widowed woman. She said, simple words, Lord, help me. Just dependable upon God. Just help me. And he will. Jesus himself said, come unto me. All ye that are what? Heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I. True rest is in Jesus Christ. How do we come to him? By faith. Oh, is coming to Jesus a work? No. Faith moves you to come to him. You don't really look at yourself. You look at him. He sees over there. He says, come, I'm coming. These people that want to nitpick don't understand the God of the Bible, what salvation really is. They want to nitpick on There's like theological buffs and treat the Bible as a textbook. When you know what you have in Christ and who God is and what he offers, and God, the Holy Spirit, does his work, I believe, in every heart. 
The Holy Spirit hasn't become trendy. He works in that heart, but there's something wrong with the soil. That's why they won't come. It's hard, perhaps hard. And I believe majority today, they've got hard hearts. And so when they hear a message like this, the devil snatches it straight away and they're gone to their own merry way, living their own. And you think, what's happened? Doesn't the gospel in the power of God and the salvation? Oh, it is. But it's something wrong with the heart of man. Stubborn, selfish. May God help every single one of us. Not be a statistic, but come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.